started last week, uh, looking at how the Bible changes us. And we, we started by first looking at the power of God's word and how powerful he is. That our God, creator God, spoke things into existence. that there are billions and billions of stars that we've discovered that we know God knows not only the amount there is but he knows them by name. And the scriptures tells us that God has precious thoughts about us. God has precious thoughts about each and every single one of us. God is awesome. God is big. God is powerful and his word is living and active. His word is living and active. It has real power. They're not just words on a page but it has real power, power to change us, power to change our lives. Through God's word and through his Holy Spirit it will convict us of our sin, convict us of our need for a saviour. where we need to go, where we've gone wrong in our lives, where we need to be corrected. And it has the power to challenge us and to change us. So how does God's word change us? And we started last week by looking at the first couple of points. So the first thing we looked at, God's word can change me by recreating my life, that it's a new life that it's being born again, as the scriptures tell us. And secondly, we looked at the word of God can eradicate my guilt. That when you come to Jesus with an attitude of repentance and accept him as saviour, that we experience forgiveness and peace, not guilt. As Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so today we pick it up at point three. How does God's word change me? It activates my faith. It not only eliminates guilt, but it activates my faith. And that's important because it gives confidence. Uh, most people have uh, some sort of fear or phobia. And uh, in, the, in the US, this National Institute of Mental Health, I found it online, has delivered the latest stats on people's fears. Coming in at number three, four and five are darkness, spiders and heights. I'm sure we can all relate to at least one of those. But then at number two is ne- necrophobia, which is death. But that comes in number two, just behind number one. Glossophobia, public speaking. Um, I'm not much of a Jerry Seinfeld actually fan but I do remember him doing this stand-up thing once and he's talking about these stats and they actually probably haven't changed much over the years. We're still fearful of the same things. But he was actually saying, it was quite funny, that you know, at a funeral, according to these uh, stats that you'd probably rather be in the casket than actually be given the eulogy. 
but we live with all types of different fears and stresses and our confidence in those circumstances usually depend on how much we're willing to face our fears. Uh, If you have a fear of public speaking, I'm guessing you wouldn't be that confident if I came down and said, listen, the notes are up there, can you just come and finish off the rest of this sermon? Or if your fear was with spiders, I'm sure you're not too keen to actually get in the roof of your house or crawl underneath your house to do any sort of work. And if your fear is heights, I'm sure you're not willing to pay hundreds of dollars to skydive. Uh, Rachel and I compromise. She kills the spiders and I get up during the night if there's a noise. (laughs) But yeah, Christian life can be like that. We can have many types of fears that lead us to living with very little confidence. Very little confidence in God's timing. Very little confidence in God's healing power. Very little confidence in what God can do for us in God's timing. And I believe it speaks of a lack of faith which is a result of not spending time in his word. As we heard earlier from Tony and there's a couple of verses that will sort of be repeated throughout this message. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing, um, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Romans 1.17 is well known. It says this, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We are saved by faith and we are called to then live by faith. We are called to live by faith in God with confidence in him. And our confidence in him is displayed day by day on our faith journey. I think a lack of confidence in God is telling others of a lack of faith in God. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the confidence that we have, I'm sorry, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Uh, We have thousands of promises in the Bible that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, God is everywhere. Yet, why is it that our faith, and I, I say our because I'm hoping I'm not alone on this one, why is it that our faith can seem uh, so weak and so fragile at times. Our confidence in God's timing, our confidence in what God is able to do through us can at times just quickly disappear. We can so easily turn to our own strength and our own desires and our own agendas And I believe we don't spend enough time in God's word is one of those problems. 
and I'm sure there's a lot of issues that go with those sort of uh, uh, that sort of lack of confidence in God. But I think a major one is that we don't spend enough time with God in His Word, getting to know Him more, getting to understand more about who He is, will lead us to be more confident in what he can do for us and through us and lead us to a stronger faith. I'm not sure how you went in, I think it was the first study uh, in the small groups on the pronounce it uh, method when looking at scripture. Uh, I think it was through those verses in Philippians and we're looking at those, sort of looking at each word and, and trying to come up with you know, different words that that one word would mean and, and really sort of expand on that one verse. Uh, one of the things that I sort of really got out of the Philippians pronounce it uh, method of looking at those verses was, was the importance of coming before God with the right attitude, with a dependence upon him. That, you know, those verses really spoke to me that we need to come before, him, before God dependent upon him. And in doing that, then God will strengthen us. God will supply all our needs. God will get us through the difficult circumstances. And whenever there is anything good to come out of my life, it's because I've come to him, dependent upon him. And all glory goes back to God. And just in, in, in picking up on that and, and trying to apply that over the last couple of weeks, you know, I, I can definitely sense that there is a stronger confidence in, in my God and definitely a, a growth spurt for me in my faith. Our faith is activated when we spend time with him, getting to know him and spending time in his word. Fourthly, how does God's word change me? It stimulates my growth and it's a sort of a flow on from our last point. When we speak of maturing in our faith, uh, we speak of becoming stronger Christians, growing as Christians, living by faith and living confidently trusting God. And when we do that, we grow spiritually. But that just doesn't happen. It happens when we spend time in God's word. Acts 20 verse 32 says this, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Notice that there, give you an inheritance among all those who are set apart. Uh, and inheritance really, is, I guess, simply is something that is rightfully yours because of who you belong to. Uh, let's just say, for, as an example, you are a distant relative or a relative of Gina Reinhardt, uh, Australia's wealthiest woman, I think probably Australia's wealthiest person, I think, and Let's just say you're related to her and you find out that when she passed away your name was actually a part of her will. 
but you didn't want to have anything to do with it. You didn't want to read it. You didn't want to go to the lawyer about it and you didn't want to have anything to do with it and so you left it alone. Go to work Monday, do your normal job. Tell everyone what happened and they'd probably turn to you and say, what on earth are you doing here? (laughs) That woman's worth $20 billion. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation and his spirit comes into your life, you don't just... you don't just become a believer but you actually belong. There's a belonging. Belonging to God and his family as one of his children. And with that comes privileges. With that comes responsibilities. But with that comes privileges. And the Bible speaks of an inheritance. An inheritance that is spiritual and eternal. An inheritance that's not just about things that will come to us as blessings here on earth but into eternity with God in heaven. And if you thought $20 billion was going to do a lot for you, it's just a drop in the ocean compared to the riches of our God. So what if you go through your life not knowing the power and the opportunities that can be for you as a child of God. What if you never take the time to know what is rightfully yours as a child of God? If you take this book and take it home this afternoon and place it on the shelf and at 9.45 next week pick it up and bring it back here because God says I want to stimulate growth in you I want you to read my words as one who belongs there are things that are rightfully yours blessings and promises both now and into eternity. 2 Timothy 3, we looked at this last week and we heard it this morning. 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, useful for four things. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ultimately, God's purpose for our life is, is a number of things, but ultimately our, the foundation sort of stuff that God's purpose for our lives is that we would be Christ-like. That we would be Christ-like in our mind, in our character. And so the Bible speaks of these four things in achieving God's purpose for us. Teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. Rick Warren breaks these four things down that I thought would be good to share that on a real sort of basic level. That teaching is God showing me the path to walk on. Rebuking is when God shows me how I got off the path and 
fell into a hole. Correcting is how to get back onto the path and training is how to stay on the path and don't fall off again. Teaching, rebuking, correcting and training is what the Bible is why the Bible is given to us in order to equip us for the purpose that God has actually placed us here on earth that we would be like him, that we would allow God to change us to be Christ-like. The fifth point, how does God's word change me, is that it illuminates my mind. I'm glad I got that word out. I try not to say it too many times. It starts to come out all funny. Illuminate, illuminate. Uh, illuminate is to bring light or to uh, bring light to something or to enlighten with knowledge. So how does it work? It sounds good, but how does it work? Psalm 119, 130, it says this, The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. Uh, I can tell you that I'm very grateful for the promises of God, especially this one, because I'm a simple man. Uh, I finished year 12 uh, just, but I'm glad that you don't actually need a a master's degree um, or, or become a professor in something in order to be able to understand the truth of God's word. But it's not actually about how smart I am. It's actually about my attitude when I come to to this word and be disciplined enough to spend time in it and, and allow God through his spirit to reveal his truth to me. Enlightenment isn't just for one age group. It's not just for one class of people, as you can see all around the world. God wants to light up our minds with the truth of who he is, with the truth of what he wants for us, with the truth of how to handle feelings and emotions that I'm having during the week. He wants to reveal the truth of how to handle difficult situations, difficult relationships. How does he turn the light on in our lives? You may have opened God's word this week and read something and thought that hasn't turned the light on. Or you may go home this week and try tomorrow to open God's word and maybe you haven't read it for a while and you read a few verses and you say, oh, what's it, that hasn't done anything. But I want to encourage you that it's something that generally, usually will just, God's light will dawn on you as you consistently, consistently open it and study it and meditate on it. Uh, We're looking at a few verses from 119, Psalm 119. That's because it's not only the longest chapter in the Bible but it's all about God's law, God's word. That whole chapter is sort of spoken about. And in 
Psalm 119 verse 99 says there, I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. So I meditate on your word. Uh, Meditate can have some sort of negative connotations but we're not talking about handing over your mind to to the universe. We're not talking about sitting in the same position for 24 hours and meditating on nothing. But a systematic approach to God's word to not just come to it and skim over a few pages but to spend time on it, spend time looking at meanings of words and to soak our minds into it. Uh, We've been looking so far in our small groups uh, on how to meditate on God's word and there's some really good practical things come out of that. Uh, I've been coming to the Tuesday night group here. Uh, We've just done two studies. It sounds like a few other groups have done more. But so far we've looked at the pronounce it, pronounce it method and picture it method placing yourself in those situations of different people throughout the Bible. And we're learning those things so that we can meditate on God's word and allow God to turn the light on in our lives, illuminate our minds. Psalm 109 verse 105 says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And so God turns a light on that we can, so that we can also have direction in our lives. When this was sort of written there would have been a, an understanding of the reader of the, the sort of lamp that he's talking about, the thing that they would carry that you'd have like a little candle that you'd place in. Uh, these days we'd you'd probably put in the the eye torch as a replacement. might help you understand that better. But as you place that lamp or that even the eye torch, if you go out in the dark and you put it at your feet, you'll notice that it lights up the next couple of steps, doesn't it? It doesn't light up the next kilometre, lights up the next steps. So you know where you can step safely and confidently. And the only way for you to take another step and to be confident of what's to come in the next few steps is to take a step forward. If you stop, you'll still only have a small amount of light, won't you? And sometimes we want God to light up the rest of our life, what's going to happen. Sometimes we want God to light up the next 20 miles. But God says, I've given you enough light to take the next step and the next step and as you take steps and as I provide you light, you take a step of confidence and a step of faith and your faith grows and your confidence grows and your trust grows in God. You want to stop and ask God to light up the rest of your life for you, light up what's going to happen for you, it's not going to happen. 
They take a step of faith. And God says your faith and your confidence will grow. If we are not in God's word, if we're not reading it, if we're not meditating on it, how can we be, expect God to guide us through this life? If we're not trusting him, if our faith isn't in him, how, is he, how are we going to have our... I'm sorry, how is our uh, life going to be lit up? How's our path on our life going to be lit up? I think a good thing when you come to God's word is to pray. Uh, and I think a great verse, I think it's our memory verse actually in our groups, is this Psalm 119.18. Uh, it's actually a, a prayer about coming to God's word. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your word. I think it's a great attitude and a great way to start your time of quiet time or devotion to come to him and say, open my eyes. Don't just let me skim over the pages. Don't let me read three paragraphs for the sake of saying I've done a quiet time. It may be meaningful and changing. Point six is that it elevates my mood. How does God's word change me? It can elevate my mood. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, I can do with a mood elevator. Or my brother, sister could do with a mood elevator. When we get discouraged and down, tired, exhausted, uh, I guess in our culture we often think of a strong latte, don't we? Coffee break. I don't want to completely discourage that because I'm, I'm in that type of line of business. But, but God gave us the Bible to encourage us. God gave us the Bible to encourage us. And I'm sure there are times when we're just hope, wanting to sit on the couch perhaps and turn on the TV because we just want to do nothing and And maybe there's certain things that you turn to when life is hard, when you're exhausted emotionally, physically. But there's no better place to turn to than the Scriptures. Romans 15.4 says, The Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. God's word is meant to encourage us. Even the tough parts, the hard parts to read, are meant to encourage us and send us in the right direction in life. And so the next time, I encourage you, the next time that you are exhausted, the next time you are down, the next time that you're about to turn to the things you may usually turn to in those circumstances, I encourage you to just come to God's word. 
and you may be thinking like I have thought before but that will mean I've got to concentrate. You know, I was thinking during the week, yeah, but doesn't God deserve that? His word has the power to change us. Why would I ignore it? I think that's why it's so important to set apart time every day that is quiet and that is just between you and God. Where you read his word, where you speak to him, where you talk to him and listen to his voice. Uh, Rick shared four essentials for a good quiet time and, and he spoke about how to do it. Uh, I think that was just in the last, we we're up to session two, so I think it was just in that last session. I found those were really practical, like really easy to pick up and understand. And, and so I encourage you if you have missed that or uh, if, you, yeah, if, you, yeah, if you didn't get a chance to hear that, um, try to get hold of that resource and apply it to your life and see the change that it can make. The last point, God's, how does God's word change me, is that it liberates my potential. I think at times we can find ourselves living for the expectation of others. And unfortunately many people have grown up hearing that you're not good enough. You may have grown up hearing that you're not quite up to it. You'll never achieve anything really successful. You won't be successful. I I, I know that sounds quite harsh but it happens. It's a reality. Uh, My dad, when he was in in year 11 or 12, I think it was, uh, his English teacher said to him, you said similar things along those lines. I think he was talking about, about reading a book from finish to end and teacher said you'll never write a book let alone read a book. Now most of you know my dad and you'll probably understand that the teacher might have been fed up with some of his antics during that day or <laughs> so we can excuse the teacher. But I can proudly say you know my dad's gone on to achieve many things and write a master's degree and write a few books and we shouldn't find ourselves capping our potential on the expectation of others. Now of course this morning we're talking about much greater things than writing books or uh, intellectual property, we're talking about spiritual things and Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Only God, your creator, knows your full potential. The one who designed you and created you knows what you're capable of. Your parents don't know. Your partners don't know. Your siblings don't know. 
In fact, you don't know what you're capable of when it comes to spiritual things, to godly things. And so continue to meditate on his, in his words. Ignore the labels and boxes that people place you in. Continue in his word and come to him with an attitude of surrendering yourself to him. And most importantly, come to him and come to his word, allowing through his spirit to use his word to change you. There are just three short points just to finish off looking at that we're going to go deeper into I think over the next few weeks. That if we're going to see these changes from God's word, if they're going to be true in us as we go into this next week, just want to look at three practical points. And the first one is that you've got to learn it. That we need to learn the word of God. You know, you can't be involved really in something if you haven't first learnt it. You wouldn't want to come to me and ask me to come and build you a house. That would be a big mistake. If you just looked at the latest picture of the, uh, the last dog kennel that I built, you wouldn't want me to come and build you a house, believe me. When the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they came to him and they tried to trip him up by using hypotheticals within the law. And Jesus says to them in Mark 12:24, he said, do you know what your trouble is? Your trouble is that you don't know the scriptures. You don't know them. And if we go from this place wondering why God's word isn't changing us, we first have to ask ourselves, do we know the scriptures? Do we spend time in God's word? Secondly, to gain these benefits to be changed, we need to accept it. We need to accept God's word In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 it says, We never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. Which of course it is and this word continues to work in you who believe. Accepting God's word is to accept that what you are learning comes with authority. And there are going to be things in God's word that you're not going to completely understand. I can honestly stand here and say uh, there are many things I don't completely understand in God's word. One of them is the Trinity. I can't fully grasp that concept of the Trinity. But it's in God's word and I accept it as truth. 
And there are going to be many things in God's Word that are inconvenient for your life. There are going to be many things in God's Word that are going to make you unpopular on a Monday morning at work and school and in your community. But we're not to change it, we're to accept it. Accept it as God's word that comes with his authority. And lastly, we're to act on it. We're to practice what we preach. In John thirteen seventeen, it says, Now that you know these things, God will bless you for knowing them. No, no, it doesn't, does it? No. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for writing them down on a, in a diary. No. God will bless you for doing them. As we meditate on God's word, as we learn it, must accept it and we must act on it, make it real in our lives. Christ, you are all that we need. Lord, open our eyes that we may see these wonderful things in your word. May it be our prayer as we go into this week that we don't want to be the same person we were last week. We want to be a changed people. May we come to your word with an attitude of surrendering ourselves to you, our minds to you, our lives to you. And through your Holy Spirit, Lord, change us through your word making us more like Christ day by day. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.